Wow, I think you all could become a singing church. (laughs) You might ask where that came from this morning. Well, I was sharing with our leaders that in this season of transition between Basha and our new home of worship, we will not fundamentally change who we are as a church. We will be who we will be. But just like in our own individual lives, there are certain seasons where sometimes certain things get more attention than others. And I believe in this season of transition that God wants us to step up our focus in three areas as a church. One is singing. One is, uh, the second one is saturating. Saturating in the presence of God and saturating in the Word of God. And then finally, serving. And that individually and as a church, we can all sort of step up and focus on those three areas and maybe just put a little bit more emphasis on each of them. And so I'd like to encourage you, especially after today, that as new people and even some of our own people come into this auditorium on Sundays, that you would remind them, we're getting ready to sing. We are a singing church, and we want to be known as a church that lifts up our voices and praises the Lord. Well, along again with singing and saturating is serving, and we're learning about how to be an effective servant of the Lord in our study of 2 Corinthians. So if you would like to follow along, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning, continuing to sort of layer upon layer, uh, looking at service and ministry. And Paul here in this passage is really sharing his own personal testimony about serving the Lord and and what it takes. And he wants to encourage the Corinthians to look at his own life and to see the things that were instrumental in his life in order to follow his example and adopt them into their life of service for the Lord. And the first thing I want us to see in verse 4 is Paul says, But as God's servants, we have commended ourselves in every way with great endurance. I, I want you to note those three words. With great endurance. And then he goes on to say why he needed endurance and perseverance. Because as he served the Lord... He was persecuted. As he served the Lord, he faced difficulties. As he served the Lord, he faced distresses. He faced beatings, imprisonments, riots, troubles, sleepless nights, and hunger. This isn't an exhaustive list of all that Paul dealt with when he served the Lord. If you go over to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, you'll see a much longer list, and we're going to get to that chapter in just a few weeks. But Paul is saying to the Corinthians, make no mistake about it, when you and I as saved people of God step up to serve Him, we put ourselves out there just a little bit more. And we put ourselves, in a sense, on the enemy's radar a little bit more. And when we transfer ourselves from simply being saints of God to servants of God, we start becoming a threat to the enemy. You see. And then, the world, 
our own fallen flesh and the devil all starts to throw everything our way because when you stop just being a saint, when you and I stop being spectators and we enter into serving the Lord, all of a sudden now, our life starts impacting other people's lives exponentially. And the enemy doesn't like it. Therefore, again, all kinds of stuff are going to be thrown our way. Opposition, challenges, all of this, if you will, to our service for the Lord. And Paul says that's why you and I need great endurance and perseverance. Make no mistake about it, the Bible is clear. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14, 22. Jesus himself said, In the world you will have trouble and suffering, but be of good courage, I have overcome the world. But the Bible never paints a picture that the Christian life, and especially when we step into serving the Lord, is going to be easy. It's not. It's going to require endurance and perseverance. And if you and I are not going to to endure in these seasons of service with all of these things coming at us, then can I also say this? We will never reap. That's why Paul said to the Galatians, let's not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we don't faint, give up, lose heart. Anything even in life that is worthwhile requires endurance in order to receive the fruit from it. I mean, very little in life, if anything, is just automatically handed to us the moment we enter into something. It requires an amount of time and effort and energy and blood and sweat and tears and endurance and perseverance of all these things in order to finally achieve something and, and, and see it, if you will. See the fruit of it. You and I never in life reap in the same season that we sow. That's not only a principle in the, obviously, agrarian world with farmers and all of that. It's true in the spiritual world as well. So if you and I are never going to reap in the same season we sow, then we need to have endurance. We need to be willing to go through the troubles and the tribulations and and the oppositions and the challenges. We here as a church stand on the brink of something unbelievably great, and yet it took almost nine years of doing it here and going through all the challenges that we had, you see. And then in our own lives, hopefully as a follower of Jesus Christ, we've seen that. I just want to remind you that I want every one of you to serve. Because that's what God made you and I for, was to serve Him. Not to sit, not to be a spectator, but to serve. But if you step up and serve the Lord, make no mistake about it, it won't be easy. And how many Christians out there, at one time, 
started out serving the Lord, but then they started to get beat up and beat down and, and this came in and that came in and they just said, done. We're not doing that anymore. We're not putting ourselves out there. Anymore. We're not serving the Lord anymore. How many enter into that category? So Paul is saying, look, it took great endurance on my part. It will take great endurance on your part to serve the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. He gives us then in this chapter four things that was true in his life that can be true in any Christian who wants to serve the Lord's life that will enable us to endure and persevere. The first one is found in verse 1. He says, Now, because we are fellow workers, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The first thing, I want you to concentrate on those two words, fellow workers. Paul is saying to us, you know what makes serving the Lord more tolerable, even to the point where we can endure it? And I'll even say this, because I said this to our leaders last night, even to the point where it becomes very enjoyable, is when you do it with others. When you are partnering with other believers in Jesus Christ. God never created us and meant for us to serve Him by ourselves. Out there all alone, trying to take the heat all by ourselves and deal with all the challenges and obstacles and opposition by ourselves. He always said, at least have one other person, a partner. That's why when Jesus sent out His disciples, He sent them out what? Two by two. He never sent His disciples out alone by themselves. He said, partner up the 12 of you, go into six teams of two, and then go out. That's the way God designed it. And when you look at Paul's life, Paul was never someone that was out there trying to serve the Lord alone. It was Paul and Barnabas. It was Paul and Silas. It was Paul and Timothy. As we learn here, it was Paul and Titus. But Paul always had some other Christian by his side. And he was also by another Christian's side at all times. God calls us to partnership with one another. And I would not be standing before you today, again, where we are as a church, if it were not for the partners that God has given me in my life and in this church. It is absolutely essential. The words fellow workers literally mean to put forth power together. And in a sense, it's sort of a common sense thing. It's like, well, whatever strength one has, if you put add to it another person, then you're going to add strength to that. You're going to actually have more power and more strength to be able to devote to whatever thing God has called you all to because you're not just trying to do it in your own strength. You're obviously going to be relying on the Lord's strength, but you're also going to have another human being, another servant of the Lord, to apply extra strength to that. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one. If one falls down, then there's at least one there to pick the other one up. And two can get more done than one ever could if they learn to cooperate and complement one another. 
So the first thing Paul is saying to us here is, yes, it took great endurance for me to serve the Lord, but I never tried to do it alone. I always had ministry partners, fellow workers, that we could enter into this thing and we could come together and we could put forth power together. Secondly, in verse 1, Paul also says this, we are fellow workers and because of that, we also urge you in Corinth not to receive the grace of God in vain. The second thing that enabled Paul to endure and will enable us to endure in serving the Lord is the grace of God. It is God's supernatural enablement, empowerment that God grants to us. And notice something here. God gives us His grace for everything and in everything. At all times, God is extending His grace to us. It is never a question as a Christian that I'm going to go through something or I'm going to seek to serve the Lord and some challenge or opposition or obstacle is going to face me, but somehow as I look around for the grace of God, it's not anywhere to be found. That's never going to be the case. But what Paul says could be the case is that I receive the grace of God in vain. What he is basically saying there is God will extend his grace to us for everything. But it's up to us to receive it. And many Christians don't ever receive the grace of God. They reject it. They push it away. Instead of receiving the grace that God gives them for that particular moment and time and season in their life. And this is why even maybe here in this auditorium, we could have examples of this where there may be someone here today that's going through a pretty, pretty big circumstance in their life. A, a pretty big situation, a lot of trouble, and yet you are receiving God's grace for that, and therefore you're able to keep your head above the water, you're, you're able to rise to the challenge, you're able to keep your joy and, and your wits about you, so to speak, and, and you're still able to do all that because you are receiving the grace of God right now. But there may be somebody else here who's going through even less of a circumstance than that. You're not going through the same stuff that this person is over here, but you are pushing the grace of God away. And therefore, you're not even handling your smaller circumstance as well as another Christian who's handling something much bigger because they're receiving the grace of God. And they're not doing so in vain. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that. He didn't say, by my education and my background as a Pharisee and, and my knowledge of the Word and, and all of this, you know, my experience in ministry. No, he said, it's by the grace of God, I am what I am. And none of us can ever get to a place as a servant of the Lord, as a Christian, where we can live without God's grace or we're in trouble. And the Bible says God will give grace to the humble 
But to those that say no, he will reject the proud because that's really what the, that's really where it is. It's a matter of, am I humble enough to say, God, I need you and I need your grace? Or are we too proud to say, God, I need you. I need your grace. I can deal with this on my own just fine. As we crash and burn, can I say. And I can say that so well because I've been there. I've been there in my life where I went through some pretty horrific circumstances and saw the grace of God show, show up in my life and just was amazed at how the grace of God was sufficient and carried me through that horrific circumstance. And by the way, Paul says the grace of God is sufficient. It will always be enough for us. But I've also went through a lot less circumstances in my life where I did not receive the grace of God and I was a crankety, crotchety yuck who developed a really bad attitude real quick. And my spiritual life started to go down real quick. It is essential for us, especially as servants and even as saints, to wake up every day and to humble ourselves and say, God, it's a new day. I need your grace just as much today as I did yesterday. Amen. And that there's never going to be a day in my life where I don't need your grace. Now, if that's true just to live the Christian life, how much more true is it when we step up to serve the Lord and then again our life starts to become a threat to our enemy and all of a sudden, here we go. And I don't think any of us, and maybe I'm wrong, I think as we serve the Lord, certainly we may face persecution and difficulties and distresses. I don't know whether before I die or not, I'm going to be beaten for the cause of Christ. I don't know whether before I die, I'm going to be in prison for the cause of Christ. I might start a few riots. I'm actually hoping our church does in a spiritual way. I might go through some troubles, some sleepless nights, some hunger. I don't know about that. It's hard at this church to be hungry. But you get my point. And yet Paul said, I endured. And if I endured all that I went through to serve the Lord, you can endure too because God gives you and I the same provisions today that he gave Paul. He will give us those to come alongside of us or us to come alongside of them and to link hearts and to link together and join arms and partner together so that we never have to do this thing called ministry or service alone. Secondly, he will give us his grace, a grace that is sufficient that is more than enough for each and every situation you and I will find ourselves in when we serve the Lord. Third, Paul says, avail yourselves, believers, of the resources that God gives us. Look then at verse 6 and 7. Paul says, it was by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by benevolence, by the Holy Spirit, by genuine love, by truthful teaching, by the power of God with weapons of righteousness, both for the right hand and for the left. Paul's saying, God gave me all the resources I ever needed 
To be able to meet whatever situation I found myself in and to be able to navigate whatever situation I found myself in. I just had to avail myself of these wonderful resources that God gave me that are always supernatural in nature. They go way beyond what you and I could ever do on our own or accomplish on our own. And and especially, I love what he says, these are weapons of righteousness. Later on, he says, we don't war after, after the way the world wars. He says, the weapons of our warfare are supernatural through God because they can pull down strongholds. And God has been very much speaking into my life and impressing upon me even examples from those like the life of David. And can I say too, that's why Wednesday night I I got up even before I started teaching and and I said, I think it was even before our worship time, and I said, can I just tell you, I am weary and fatigued of living in a world, and, and we Christians can be just as bad at this as the world is. I am f- weary and fatigued at living in a world where we throw labels on each other. Amen. We're always looking at each other saying, you're that, and you're that, and you're that. Can I tell you? I've lived my whole life having other people and even myself put labels on myself. And one day God sort of sat me in front of him, if you understand what I'm saying. And he said, Jeff, stop letting people label you and stop putting labels on yourself. Let me alone define you and who you are and what you become. And don't live by the labels of other people. David is a great example of that. As I shared Wednesday night, his own family disregarded him and dismissed him whenever God was getting ready to anoint the next king of Israel. Oh, David, he's just that shepherd boy. He's not, he's not even here. I mean, we, we didn't even think about him. Here's my other sons. And yet God had chosen David. Because God didn't see a little shepherd boy that his own family dismissed and disregarded. God saw a giant killer. Because that's what David would become with God. That's what God wants us to see. Not the labels that other people put on us or the labels that we put on ourselves, but in a sense, what God says of us. That's why when God met Simon, he said, Simon, you're a pebble, but you're going to be a rock. I'm going to call you Peter. Paul is saying here, look, we have all these wonderful resources at our disposal. We've got worship, which is a powerful weapon. We've got the word. We've got prayer. We've got our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got so many, we've got the Holy Spirit of God living within us as we've talked about. So many different things. And and Paul would say, let's avail ourselves of these resources. We should never look at the situation we are in as serving the Lord and going, I got nothing, I'm empty handed, I'm deficient, I'm lacking anything. We've got more than enough through God. And I love what Paul says. He begins to show us sort of the paradox of being a Christian in verse 9 and 10. says it depends on who you talk to type of thing. He says to some people we are totally unknown. They don't know us from anybody. And yet to others we're very well known. He says also we're dying in one sense, but he said also we continue to live. We are scourged yet, but we're not executed. 
We're sorrowful, but we're always rejoicing. Then I love this. He says, we could be poor as far as the world standards goes, but we can make many rich. Isn't that what Peter said when they looked at the lame man, when they were going into the temple, Peter and John, and he fastens his eyes on the man and he says, I don't have any silver and gold. That may be what you're looking for, but what I do have, I'll give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he rose up and walked. I think that was better than silver and gold. You see, we live in a world today where the answer to everything is money. Let's just throw more money at it. That will, that will help. And what the world doesn't see, and even what many churches don't see, and what many Christian leaders don't see, and even what many Christians don't see, is throwing money at everything doesn't always help. It is not always the answer to everything. There's a much bigger and greater answer than money or material things to throw at the problem. And that is, why don't you throw Jesus Christ at the problem? He's the answer. And then I love this. Paul says, as having nothing, verse 10, and yet possessing everything through God. Because why? Because we serve the Lord of hosts who has again at the universe that he created everything at his disposal that he is willing to share with those of us who are willing to live for him and serve him. So though you may think, and though I may think at times, I got nothing as a Christian who's serving the Lord, what we really should say is, I got everything because I got Jesus. And there's nothing I don't have. Because God's got everything and God's got me. What a way to look at things, right? So Paul says, yes, it takes endurance. But we can have fellow workers. We can have the grace of God. We can have the great resources that God will provide for us. And then finally, from verses 14 down through verse 18... We sort of started on the whole thing of partnerships, partnering with other believers, but now we're going to end with partnering with God. Because notice what Paul says to the Corinthians, because this was a problem in the Corinthian church. He says, stop being partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? He says, what does a believer, verse 15, share in common with an unbeliever? Therefore, verse 17, come out from their midst. Be separate, says the Lord. Let me stop there. The Bible, nor Paul, nor God is saying, don't reach out to those that don't believe. We are called to be a light. The key word here in this passage is partnership partnership. He says to a Christian, don't partner with worldly people. To the church, he would say, don't adopt worldly methods or worldly means to achieve spiritual ends. It never works. And yet you see so many churches today doing it. So many Christians doing it. I can achieve spiritual ends through worldly means. No. Never works. Never works. And Paul is saying, you Corinthians, 
You're trying to get ahead spiritually through these partnerships with people that don't even know God. How's that work? And how can you really be on the same path in a partnership with somebody that doesn't even know God that long if God is the most important thing in your life? Can I tell you, it, it sort of disturbs me when I hear Christians say that they have closer friends that are not saved than they do people that are saved. I'm like, how's that work? If God is the most important thing in your life and this person here doesn't even know God, How far can you really go with them before you would start to go in different directions? So that tells me most of the time, the Christian is the one who's compromising to stay on a road with the unbeliever a lot further down that road than they should. Because we should not partner with them. Doesn't mean we can't be friendly It doesn't mean we can't have some kind of a relationship, but then when you start getting into partnerships, no. When you talk about serving the Lord, no. No. And this isn't just a negative message here, because at the end, in verse 17 and 18, notice God says, if you will be distinct, because that's really what it means to be separate. He's saying again, you don't reach the world by becoming like the world. You and I, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, reach the world by being distinct, by being different, by being set apart so that they can see the difference clearly that God makes in our life, not by living and being like them. That doesn't work. But then God says this, if you do that, I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the all-powerful Lord. And what the Lord is saying here through Paul is this. Don't partner with unbelievers to achieve spiritual ends and serve me, but partner with me. What better partner could you and I have than the all-powerful, almighty God? This name for God, the all-powerful Lord, is used only ten times in the New Testament. It means the ruler of the universe, the sovereign master, the one who's in control, the one who is greatest of all. That's what the word means. And so God is inviting all of his servants to say, partner with me. How can you go wrong when you and I partner with the all-powerful Lord? Isn't that why Jesus said in even Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, you realize he's giving us that illustration from way back and even a few times a day where two beasts of burden are literally connected together or yoked together so that they can say plow a field. Well, if you and I are going to be yoked together that closely, that means we're going to be plowing down the same field. We're going to be going in the same direction. And Jesus is basically saying, yoke yourself with me every day. Partner up with me every day. Face the day with me as your partner. Yes, I want you to partner with other human beings. But I want you most importantly and most essentially to partner with me every day. Because I'm the all-powerful Lord. Let's do this together. Let's do this together. 
And we've been learning on Wednesday night through our study of Abraham and learning to live by faith that there is nothing too hard or difficult or impossible with the Lord. Even last Wednesday night, we were at the passage where the Lord tells Abraham, I'm coming back in a year, Abraham. Yeah, you're going to be 100 and Sarah's going to be 90-some, but she's going to have a child. And she starts laughing. And God says, is anything impossible for the Lord? And then he says, he said, did I hear Sarah laugh? And then Sarah's like, no, I didn't laugh. <laughs> and I love what God said. Oh, no, you did laugh. Because even as followers sometimes, we, do we really believe that God can do it? No, I mean, let's, let's be honest. There are times where even as God followers, we go, nah, God couldn't do that. Or God wouldn't do that, maybe is more the thing. We, we get trapped into the, you know, that labeling thing. It's like, well, God would do a miracle or something great for them, but not for me. Well, who said that? Again, that's just unbelief being manifested in the way we think and in the way we speak over ourselves. God is calling us to be His servants. God created us not just to have a relationship with Him, but to serve Him. To have a place or part in His kingdom. And God is not sugarcoating it. He says, you step up and start to serve me, you will become a threat to our spiritual enemy you will now be on his radar. And can I just tell you? I'm just telling you, I guess this is one of the dangers of being part of the Oasis Church. Because I want to be a threat to the enemy. I don't want to live my Christian life or be part of a local church that is just mediocre and just average because we live in a world of mediocrity today. I want to be exceptional. I want to be above average. I want to go out of this world and into eternity being able to say, we made a difference in this world. What we did mattered We didn't just serve the Lord. We exceptionally served the Lord. We laid it all on the line. We were committed. We were devoted. We were all in. And God is saying, if that's your attitude, God bless you. And you're not going to be alone. I'll give you fellow workers. I'll give you my grace. I'll give you supernatural resources. And I myself, God, the all-powerful God, will be your partner every day you live. Could we stand and pray? Today, God, I pray that you would just call us to a greater level of service for you. That as we step up our lives in the area of singing and saturating in your presence and saturating in your word, that, God, we would also step up in the area of service. God, that there would be those of us here in this auditorium that would truly, like never before, dedicate themselves, devote themselves, commit themselves to serving you. And maybe they don't even know what area or, or part that is yet, but they are willing to say truly for the very first time in their life, here I am, Lord. Here I am. I'm not going to tell you, Lord, that I'm going to serve you, but I'm only going to serve you in this place or at this time or whatever. But Lord, I'm going to let that all up to you. I'm just coming before you today. I'm just making myself available. I'm saying, God, whatever you want, whatever your will is, God, here I am. Here I am. Often in my Christian life, 
there were times where I had to sort of, as a Christian even, sort of rededicate myself, recommit myself to what God called me to. I had to say, God, I'm, I'm back. I sort of had drifted a little bit, but I'm back, God. It's time to get back on track again with you. And maybe that's the case with some of you today. I've certainly had to do it many times in my life. Maybe that's where you are today. I'm just calling on all of us today that if God is moving in your heart, moving in your life, and you even want to make some kind of public commitment to say, God, today I am rededicating myself to being a servant of yours. I am recommitting myself to step up and step out. I know that I'm going to need to endure because I'm going to start becoming an even greater threat to the enemy. But God, I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. My life is yours, God. Would you come this morning? Would you come? Would you be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit as we sing to the Lord this morning? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.